The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word and we pray that uh, you will give insight this morning as we study it together, that uh, you may instruct us through it and, uh, and further encourage us in our faith as uh, we uh, continue on in, uh, in the good works that you have called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open to Exodus chapter 33. Our text for this morning is the four verses, somewhat in the middle of it, verses 7 through 11. But uh, we will read the whole chapter to uh, have a little bit of context. So, Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 
For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I uh, read the whole chapter there so that you see how verses 7 through 11 in many ways stand out. Uh, Very clearly they stand out. They they break from the storyline. They uh, are this side note. And, uh, and if you looked in your Hebrew Bibles, you would see this break is, is made clear by a change in the verbs. It changes from a vav consecutive imperfect narrative chain to imperfects, followed by vav consecutive perfects. Um, and, uh, and so for your syntax lesson, uh, what, uh, what we learn from that is, uh, is he's making an aside. He's giving some additional information. And, uh, and there's different ways that we can take these. Um, uh, one person tried to take them as talking of the future, which you would expect of uh, imperfect and WCPs. Uh, but it doesn't seem to fit here. Instead, most rightly, and most English translations follow this, this is how you talk about something that was customary in the past. And, uh, and so it's speaking of a repeated activity that Moses did. And, uh, and so the ESV tries to capture that with uh, the language, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. Um, So this was something Moses did, not just once, but many times. Uh, And uh, and so this narrative aside amongst this chapter, it really raises two questions, two questions that are related. And the first is, what tent is being described here? And the second, why is it being described here? Um, how does it fit? And, uh, and so we'll start with the first one. What tent is being described? And the confusion about this tent comes really in verse 7 there. Because what does Moses call it? He calls it the tent of meeting. And uh, we know elsewhere in Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Numbers, the tent of meeting is a common referent for the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle is often called the tent of meeting. And, uh, and so, are they the same? Is this tent spoken of here the tabernacle? Or are they different? Well, 
what is described here seems to describe something different from the tabernacle. And we can see that in a few ways. The first is, if this, uh, this narrative aside is in the proper timeline, the tabernacle hasn't been built yet. And uh, because Moses has been up on the mountain, and then the people sinned with the golden calf, and he was only receiving the instruction uh, up on the mountain. Now, some argue that it's out of chronological sequence here. Um, And that is a possibility, uh, but it's not the most common way to use background information. Uh, But there's other things that are distinct. Verse 7 there, we find out this tent that Moses would pitch. Where did he pitch it? It was outside. Not just outside, far outside. And... uh, And what we know of the tabernacle is it was in the midst of the camp. And uh, and this tent also seems distinct in what it does. We don't have any mention of priests, Levites, sacrifices. The only thing we find out is it's a place of revelation. That uh, revelation that specifically Moses had with God. And verses 8 through 10 really highlight that. That the whole camp would watch this as Moses walked out to the tent. And as he entered the tent, then God's presence would be shown as it came down with the cloud. And all of Israel would see that, that God was speaking with Moses in this special way. And, uh, and he describes it. It was face to face, as a friend, this most intimate of communication. Um, but uh, it also was where other people could go. We see that in verse 7, that anyone who sought the Lord would go out there. Now, assumedly, they would go out there, and Moses would again uh, be there, and he would intercede as he spoke to the Lord and uh, and as they inquired through him. Uh, And so this tent very much seems to be about revelation, and, uh, and though the tabernacle is associated with that, we see that uh, especially uh, number 789, um, it, uh, it still seems with all of the other things that it's distinct. And, uh, and thus, I side with those who identify this tent as distinct from the tabernacle. Uh, that this is a different tent that's being spoken of here. It's a tent that was there before the tabernacle. This is what Moses used to do. This characterized the wilderness time, characterized even before Sinai, it would seem. And it's this tent that Moses Moses would use as the leader of God's people and even more importantly as the mediator uh, for God's people. And so that leads to the second question. All right, so it's this different tent why talk about it here? Why place it here? As we read, it seems to interrupt the conversation in some sense. Uh, why talk about this tent here? Well, I would argue that the first thing is it, uh, in, in the narrative here, it introduces or tells us where Moses is speaking with God at this point. Uh, the timeline with this uh, with 
the, the mountain and the golden calf and then going back on, on the mountain, it's a little difficult to see exactly where Moses is at each point. But uh, one way to read it is that Moses comes down from the mountain. We're told that in chapter 32, verse 15. And then we're not told that he goes back up until chapter 34, verse 4. And so we have this time in between where he's down off of the mountain. And, uh, and yet we still have him dialoguing with God during that time. Well, where was that? Where did he talk with God? Well, that's what these verses tell us. That there was this tent of meeting that Moses had. And, uh, and thus it seems that that's where he went to intercede for the people before God. But I would argue that that's not really the main reason. It, it helps us understand that, but that's not all we need to know, all we need to get out of this. I would suggest that it's mentioned here in order to characterize the two tents, to characterize the tabernacle by comparing it here with this other tent. And, uh, and so we could step back a minute and we could say that commentators rightly have seen in this latter section of, uh, of Exodus dealing with the tabernacle a large chiasm. We have all of these instructions about how to make the tabernacle. And then right after that, we have this law of the Sabbath. And then we get another law about the Sabbath. And then we have how all of those instructions are fulfilled. So we have this nice balance between them. But what's right in the middle? Chapters 32 through 34. The episode of the golden calf. And as we come to that, we, we could ask, well, how long does the Mosaic Covenant last? Well, Moses doesn't even make it down off the mountain, does he? And Israel has broken it, and, right, and Moses shatters those tablets as he comes down. It's done. It's over. The Mosaic is done. And... Uh, and so the golden calf episode, situated right here in the middle, in many ways shows us that the Mosaic Covenant, it was doomed to failure from the beginning. One commentator says, these chapters are paradigmatic of Israel's relationship with Yahweh throughout the Old Testament. That the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic administration, it was inadequate as a way to relate to sinful people with the holy God. It was never going to work. Not because the law wasn't good, but because the people were sinful. The law was never going to lead to life because the people would never keep it. And I would argue that our text here, in general it makes similar points about the Mosaic as a whole, but here it more specifically focuses on the tabernacle. The tabernacle, and by that, the later temple. At the beginning of, uh, of chapter 33 here, God, he's relented already from destroying Israel. But as we saw at the beginning, 
he stated that his presence won't go up with them. All right, I won't destroy them. I'll even send them on to the land, but I won't go up with them. And why not? Well, because his presence would be a danger for this sinful people. Right? Verse 3, um, I will not go up amongst you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Uh, verse 5, if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. God's presence would be a danger for a sinful people, not a blessing. And, uh, and thus Moses has to go outside the camp. And what is he pleading for? Well, God is really in this stating that, you know all that stuff I told you about the tabernacle? Where I would dwell in the midst of God's people? It won't happen anymore. Because it would be a danger to you. All that stuff about the tabernacle, it's now off because of this sin. And so Moses has to go outside the camp, far outside the camp, to this other tent to plead for the tabernacle. To plead that what the tabernacle symbolized, God's presence with his people, would still be true of Israel. He needed to plead that God would still dwell there, that God would still have this tabernacle built as a sign characterizing them as his people, as showing that they are distinct. And that's what he emphasizes in these verses afterwards. In 12 and following, we see in 16, How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? They need that sign of God's dwelling to show that they are his unique people. And so, do you see how this characterizes the tabernacle? That place of sacrifice, that place where the day of atonement was done, that place of prayer, it almost didn't get built. Moses had to intercede for it to be built. It was inadequate. It couldn't even intercede for itself. It was inadequate because of the sins of the people. God had to plead with, Moses had to plead with God that it would still happen. And I think also we should compare the tabernacle with all of its barriers and walls, its restricted access, the limited number who could go there. We should compare that also with Moses going to this tent and speaking to God face to face. Uh, and so, so I would argue in our text here that Moses, as he pleads this, in this tent of meeting, that uh, it shows us, and it showed Israel already at that time, that they have to look for something beyond the mosaic, beyond the tabernacle that would be built. That covenant at Sinai was inadequate. Something greater was needed, and that is clear 
right from the beginning. And that something, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. As he comes and restores that fellowship that is pictured here with Moses, speaking face to face as with a friend. And he does that by making peace with God through a greater sacrifice than anything that would ever take place in the tabernacle, the sacrifice of his blood. And thus, the presence, the presence that God said he would take away, that's the presence that Christ told to his people would abide with them always, even until the end of the age. So, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we see the depths of our sin as uh, we see what it was needed for us to have fellowship with you. And we rejoice in your great sacrifice, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ coming, earning for us all the glories of heaven, reconciling us with you so that we may have peace. And may that, may that uh, come and be new to us each and every morning as we dwell on it. And may it spur us on. May it give us joy. Make us free in this life to serve you out of gratitude and thankness and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.